0: Hey guys, so here's my little intro before the intro. Today's episode's a little bit longer than normal. It's over 30 minutes long, um, but that's because we had Hadar on the show and he's been investing in real estate for over 20 years. So he really dives into the details. He doesn't stay at that 10,000 feet view that most podcasts stay on. He actually really dives into the details of number one, how to choose a market, and then also his most recent deal in multifamily all the way from start to finish and includes some hiccups in there as well. A story about one of the buildings burning down. So it's It's an amazing show. We really dive into it. So I hope you guys enjoy the longer length. I think it's definitely worth it. Welcome to the Own Your Time podcast. Today we have Hadar or Corby on the show. Hadar started his real estate career as an agent in Israel before immigrating to New Zealand in 2003. He has nearly two decades of real estate experience and specializes in long distance investing. He lives in New Zealand and invests in the United States. Welcome to the show, Hadar. Thank you, Kyle.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today.
0: So you have a really cool background and story. I kind of want to hear about how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, sure. So I um, really uh, start dabbling in real estate. Uh, when I was a kid, I was going and help my dad. He had a few apartments, uh, just like condos in, in Israel, where, that's where I was born and raised. And I remember as a kid, I used to just tag along with him and helping out to go and Paint some units and, and helping him out when he goes to collect some checks. I used to go and wait in the car or go up with him and, and stuff like that. So I was kind of exposed to it a little bit, uh, but was never really uh, got granular into, into investing, if you like, with the financing part of things. Um, as I grew up, I, uh, I, I, I decided at some point that I will become a real estate agent. Uh, just to get to know real estate a little bit better from the inside. So I kind of thought that it's going to be a good uh, a good idea to to become an agent and get to know real estate. And I've done that uh, for about, uh, I think, a year and a half. And uh, quickly, back in Israel, it was, uh, I decided that uh, there's more opportunities and money to be made on the other side of the spectrum, if you like, uh, by uh, being, being actually transactional in real estate back then, perhaps uh, investing or flipping. And getting into 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 real estate with ownership. Um, so I started looking into that uh, back in Israel and and again, still helped my dad to paint some apartments and, and bits and pieces. Uh, and then in the early two thousand uh, we back my back then, my girlfriend and I, now my wife, we moved to to New Zealand from Israel. So when we arrived to New Zealand in the early two thousand, about two thousand and three, uh, that was really uh, in the in height in the and going through um, the growth in the last cycle. Um, so, you know, real estate was everywhere. It was, it was in the media. There was a lot of, of, of kind of educational stuff coming up. And I really got attracted. I remember seeing um, on the TV an investor who does uh, single families and some commercial in New Zealand talking about the opportunity of, of, of passive income and. And how you can really uh, build a portfolio that will uh, help you to live the lifestyles uh, that, that you want to live um, with putting less effort on the nine to five, if you like. Um, and of course, like many, I kind of uh, came across to reach out for that book uh, and very other, other, various other books that I started consuming a lot of information, a lot of reading, a lot of education. Uh, back then, a lot of CDs about uh, educational CDs about real estate. I was walking back when I came to New Zealand in the early 2000s. I was doing a lot of manual labor. So, like today, you know, we try to use our time as much as we can with uh, listening to podcasts and maybe audio books and anything like that. So, I was really educating myself uh, while doing the manual labor. Um, gradually, when I felt that uh, I, I had the, the basics knowledge to, to start uh, getting into the game, I started wholesaling. So, I've done uh, a lot of wholesaling. Uh, I started with a kind of no money down transaction like assignments and selling contracts for fees, which is, that's what a signing of a contract is. Uh, I slowly started doing a double closing, which is contemporaneous settlements closing. You basically buy the, buy the, the property let's say for hundred and sell it for if you like one hundred and fifty and you clip the, the the balance in the middle uh, and you, you close on it on the same day so it's really no no money down transaction. Um, and at some point I uh, managed to to raise, uh, save I would like to say, enough money to start closing on my own, uh, on my own flips. Uh, so I basically used to buy, renovate and sell and buy some buy and hold. I started with uh, my first property was actually a house. A house which was uh, on a big, a house on a big lot which had an upside potential uh, to subdivide and build another uh, four or five uh, small townhouses on it. So I always looked for a value add. Uh, back then, I I, I wasn't I, I wasn't quite clear on, on on my strategy, which which I am now. Uh, and soon after, to be you know to be frank, I was uh, shifting my focus towards multiple income properties because I quickly realized that uh, I'm I better off instead of buying single houses. Uh, buying multiple income in one transaction. So I started buying a uh, small multi-families and uh, and various. Uh, then over the years, I bought some commercial real estate, like uh, a strip mall with uh, four shop and apartment on the top. And gradually I, uh, I built a, a reasonable portfolio in New Zealand, which um, which which grown significantly in value and because i've been doing it for nearly 20 years it's cash flows great. but i got to the point about uh, five years ago uh, that uh, the market in new zealand have appreciated so much uh, to the point that you can compare it for example for like san francisco boston la new york markets that uh, they appreciated and it's a capital growth market but there is no uh, there's no yield play there is no the price to rent ratio just doesn't make sense You can't buy something that will cash flow. So I decided at that time to sell one asset in New Zealand, take some capital out and uh, start uh, getting myself educated about investing in the U S and as an American citizen, which I am, my mom was born in Chicago and she's, you know, she's American. I'm an American citizen as well. I was able to, to, to travel to the States as much as I want and also borrow money in the States. So, gradually i got myself educated got my feet wet on a, on a small deal you know i i i think that depends on your circumstances and your ability to to fund deal and your education sometimes it's okay to start with a fourplex or a triplex uh, or, or or a smaller deal in opposed to getting straight into a 50 units or 100 units or, or 20 units because especially for me investing out of area uh, i i i was in a situation that i wanted to to experience the the process and experience the teams that I built on the ground, whether it's the project management, the, the property management, uh, the pricing of each particular uh, renovations. I wanted to experience that on a smaller scale. So I know all of that and I experience that. And then I can I can implement it on a larger deal once I've gone through the process.
0: That's such a great story, man. I really want to tap into the mindset that it took you to invest across the world, essentially, from New Zealand to America, because a lot of people reach out to me and ask, do I have to invest in the market that I can drive to? Uh, Can I invest out of state? And my answer is always, yes, there is a possibility um, to invest out of state. I invested in Louisville from Sacramento for my first deal. Um, But I really want you to dig into the mental barriers that are in the way of people doing that and, and how you overcame them.
1: Yeah, so I think I, I always say, and, and I teach that to you know to our students in our mastermind as well, is that you really need to first of all take a step back and 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 look at that and stabilize your why. Why do you actually want to invest in real estate? What what is the driving force behind you that will keep you going when it, when it, when it, when you know when it's tough? Because this is this is a long game. You know, it takes time to find your first deal. It takes time to get educated to build a relationship. If you're starting with not so much money, then you, you need to kind of work on your relationship and start networking with the right people so you can raise some capital to get into, into, into your next deal or your first deal if you start smaller. So your driving force is really, is really important. And uh, be, being able to, to, to have a strong why, whether it's your family, uh, if you've got kids and you want to make sure you can support them and, and give them the lifestyle that you want to, to aspire to give them, or whether you 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 want to um, to be able to live the lifestyle by design, which is uh, maybe traveling overseas twice a year and and being able to to really not not work in a nine-to-five job to an answer for a boss and just be your own your own your own boss if you like, uh, or whether you want to help a, a, a good cause that you have or. Uh, For example, if you are working with a charity or you need to help some family member or anything that really makes you you move and make you to be committed. Because you really have to be committed to this. It's a lot about uh, being persistent and staying on track. Um, So your driving force is number one. You remember that so you can keep moving. Then you need to really get yourself educated. You need to get yourself educated so you know exactly what you're looking for. When you, start, when you start looking at uh, in, in a different market out of your area, you really need to be able to uh, do research on those markets and decide that you choose the right market. The first thing for me is to, is, is to work in a landlord-friendly state. I don't, want, I don't want to invest in New York, or I don't want to invest in Oregon, or I don't, I don't want to invest in California for that matter, because these states are not landlord-friendly. You have less control you can't evict uh, in a timely manner, and it's more, more leaning towards the tenant. So uh, this is the first thing that I would look, the, the landlord friendly. The second thing would be, for example, um, you then you start doing your market research. So you're looking into the job growth, the population growth, how did, how did the market uh, perform in the last recession, uh, if, if there are new businesses that are moving into town, so there is a, a, a job growth opportunity, is the state is very uh, pro-business or, 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 or not pro-business? For example, Texas, they got a lot of incentives and, and things which will uh, attract new businesses to move into, into Texas, and an open shop over there. Uh, the cost of living, the, the median income for a family, household income the price point for houses in the, in that particular market so you you want to make sure that you'll have enough people who can afford for example we look at sub markets and markets which minimum income is about $50,000 per household so that that's what we like we like to see we like to see a medium, medium house price of a minimum around 120 to 150,000 because that means that there are some people that can afford housing but also a lot of people who will be a blue collar workforce housing tenants and they're not necessarily going to be um, people who are able to get into into a house. So you want to look into all those metrics and make sure that you're choosing the right market which will also allow you to have a good uh, price to rent ratio. The, one important key is that uh, some market the, the, the cap rates have compressed so much especially now you know when we are on 2020 uh, gone through the expansion that we had which was over 10 years we really We really experienced a uh, uh, good capital gain in in many markets, for example dallas Dallas Texas. you know cap rates were there about uh, seven or eight years ago ten years ago. You could buy deals there around seven percent you know in, in in Dallas, but now you're talking in some cases uh, three to four percent which which if your strategy is defined properly, you should be able to determine if you want to invest in a market with such low cap rate, or perhaps you want to look for market which still have good fundamentals, but, uh, but can offer you better returns. So so these are the first thing you need to do. You really need to get yourself educated so you can make an informed decision. Once you've done, you made an informed decision, that gives you the confidence to get out and start pursuing that market. The next step is and that all of that, you can do it from the from the comfort of your office or your home or your living room the next step is to start networking in that market so once you've done your research and you choose a market you want to start networking you want to join a community of like-minded people for example like we met through jake and gino people who join our make it happen mastermind group you know we meet we meet on a monthly basis on a regular basis we jump on zooms and through a private facebook group and we, we really communicate and help each other to answer questions and keep the motivation going it's really, really important because it could be pretty lonely uh, doing real estate investing if you are doing it on your own and, and, and your immediate friends or family are not into it. It could be pretty lonely. So it's very important to have this uh, network around you um, of like-minded people. And within the market, you really want to go. And once you decide on the market, you really want to go and to be committed to travel to the market regularly. If, it, if you're driving six hours, five hours, four hours, anything you know for me generally speaking up to four or five hours i will drive when i was doing it in new zealand kind of locally but i was always investing out of area also in new zealand but once once you go over six hours or so i mean my time is very precious i i fly so flight costs you 100 bucks 200 bucks if you need to go there you know once a month which i recommend to go at least once a month when you start out if you're in the u.s Uh, then you need to go you need to attend meetups you need to be present you need to meet with local property managers start vetting them making sure that you are uh, that you are choosing the right team to work with you need to uh, meet fellow investors within the local RIA Uh, maybe there's some multi-family meetings that you can attend meet with lenders very important to do that early on so you can start building the track record I always recommend to open a small bank account with with one or two local community banks, so you can build some track record and be be a client over there. That's actually saved my saved my latest deal. You know, we had a, a deal which was very heavy lifting, and the the funding, but in the end, came to the table uh, through a local lender that we worked with and had an established relationship for the last uh, 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 three years. So I had the, I took a credit card for 500 bucks and when I started was a secured credit card and just paid you know $10 a month subscription for something just to start building this credit uh, uh, record with them so those are very important relationships local investors meetups um, perhaps property management company lenders and brokers of course we need to establish those relationship with the brokers uh, and make 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 a profile for them in a in a program like a CRM which you could follow up with them regularly and Everything is is a process that you get into, but you need to be prepared to work for it and and put the effort to to, to do that. I'm also always recommending uh, investors to choose one market and focus on that market. You cannot put all the effort I just mentioned if you start spreading it across two or three markets and jumping from one thing to the other. Very, very, very important because if you put that effort in one market, you will become an expert in, in that market. You'll be present. You'll get to know all the players. you get to know the lenders. You'll get, you'll get to know the owners. I know all of the owners in my market. Whoever owns, some owners own like five, 600 units in different communities. I know them. Some of them, I know them on a personal basis because I've been walking the market. Very, very important. It's all a mindset. You decide to do it, you make it happen. And uh, that's how you become an expert in the market. And you want to become an expert in the market because you want to identify an opportunity when it comes across your desk. And this is the key. If you know it, you know the rents, you know how much value added it will be, you know the player that will fund it, you might have other people who can partner with you within the market who are keen to get into deals but can't find deals. And I can do all of that while I'm in New Zealand. And if you're not in the US, you need to be prepared to visit your market at least four times a year three to four times a year at least so i'm flying every three or four months spending a good two or three weeks there driving for dollars everything is an itinerary i make schedule to meet with brokers with with lenders with the with the actual fellow investors and just walking it very very hard
0: that's an amazing uh tip that he's given you he's given you basically the entire process of finding a good market to invest in. But the one thing I really want to hone in on is the fact that he said, you still have to go and visit that market. Even if you're investing um, out of state or out of country, you have to at least go at the beginning and build a network there. Um, And opening the bank account was a brilliant tip. I think, even if it's something small, like he said, a $10 subscription a month, just building credit with a local bank um, and adding them to your network and, and visiting four times a year is is another really key point. So what is your favorite deal in real estate and what are some of the lessons and uh, successes that you had with that deal?
1: Okay. So, you know, like we, well, like we mentioned just before we started recording in the green room, if you like, uh, I've done hundreds of deals in New Zealand over the years, uh, but let's, let's get to, let's get to the, the, the latest deal, which is so far the thing that keeps me um, at the moment busy because I'm working on this deal. Um, it, it's a deal that uh, I saw uh, through off-market, off-market opportunities. So I'm big on, uh, on marketing. I actually utilized my skills that I established when I started up as a wholesaler. I utilized it in the U.S. with investing in, uh, in multifamily. And um, we, we, and I teach that in our mastermind as well. You know, I'm able to pick up apartment communities through... Uh, if you like direct mail marketing off market strategies it's totally doable it's a little bit more challenging when you go to buy like 120 200 units because you're dealing with more sophisticated investors uh, perhaps companies that you don't you it's hard to get down to the decision maker but when you're targeting assets which are under 100 and you're targeting mom and pop owners i think the strategy works well it worked well for me every every property i purchased in the us so far were uh, were off market so um I started um, the campaign, I identified properties, which uh, I narrowed down to the number of units that I want to, you know, to focus on, which is, for example, at that time, up to 60. I knew my budget, which is very important when you start up, you need to know what you're looking for. I knew my budget and I did direct mail. And at, at, uh, at some point. Uh, I did not receive response for that uh, particular property, which interests me a lot. I knew it was neglected and I could tell that it has a lot of meat on the bone just the way uh, you drive around driving for dollar and I was there and I could see that uh, there's a lot of deferred maintenance. So I I did receive a lot of other uh, response which led me to buying various other assets over there. But in that particular deal, I received uh, no response. So what I decided to do uh, my sequence of marketing is as follow. I do a letter, then I do a text or a text message, probably about two, years, two weeks after I send the letter. Then I do a mail drop, uh, sorry, a vo- voicemail drop, and then I, then I I follow up with a cold call like two days after, again. So I, for me to do that while in New Zealand, I had to wake up at, uh, at five o'clock in the morning, and uh, I want to get the people before they hit lunch break. So some most people go to lunch like it's 12 12 p.m. till 1 or 2. So I want to get them like 10 a.m., 10.30, 30, 11 a.m. before they go to lunch. That's that's kind of what I found is the best option to to find get hold of people. Um, so so I made those cold calls. So I had a call with the the, the number that I rang, which was uh, you know to do with that apartment community, and I got hold of a lady who uh, answered the phone. And I, exp- I expressed to her, I got a script that I use, uh, saying who I am, that we are investing locally, we're looking to buy some more in the, in the community, we've, sold, we've seen your, your property, and so and So would you consider selling? Long story short, she said, I'll get my husband to ring you. He never rang me. Um, so he never rang me, but I managed to uh, skip trace and find his uh, email address. So I sent him an email saying that i'm looking to uh, kind of summarize what i just said but in an email and uh, about a week or so later i received an email from a broker he never responded but the broker did so they had that family had a broker that was helping them to uh, to to sell a portfolio that they own which was a mixture of uh, industrial properties and also that apartment community wasn't on the market but obviously i triggered uh, the thought uh, and I started talking to the broker, and uh, we were talking and, and in touch. And in the beginning, they want 1.6 million for it, which was about uh, 40 something per door. And I knew it's not what it, I knew it's worth, maybe it was more than that actually, once it's stabilized and renovated. And market rents are good, but uh, with their rent, which were uh, 450, 400 to 44 uh, per unit. While market rent is 5.95 to 6.25, I knew that I can't pay in that top market because they're not achieving that that income. So that's that's my uh, my meat on the bone is is my upside if I'm buying the property. So we negotiated, and um, that took about 18 months from start to finish. 18 months. That's how it takes. You know, the property was off market, but I was I was negotiating and talking to the broker. I was following him up every three three weeks and really, really being uh, uh, responsive. So when he gave me the financials, if you like, um, there was no financial. It was just a sheet of paper with some uh, handwritten uh, assumptions that they gave me because the property was really mismanaged and they hardly had any financials. So it was really tough. And they had also 20% vacancy, 25% vacancy, uh, in fact. So it was really, really tough to... Uh, to 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 understand you know where where are the where is the where is the where is the incomes that i can go and show to the lenders but uh, because we know the market we could actually assume what we what where we can take the property to so because it was 25% vacant and it had 35% loss to lease and if if, if listeners don't know what loss to lease is loss to lease is pretty much the amount or the percentage if you like that uh, the property has below market, so let's say you are collecting currently a hundred thousand dollars a year, but only by taking the rent to market on full occupancy, you can take it to uh to to one hundred and fifty that means that your loss to lease from a hundred to one hundred and fifty is fifty thousand dollars on 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 a, on a, on the money amount um, point, so we had a, a big loss to lease over there um I think there were about. Uh, hundred and something thousand and we, we could we taking it to 300 so there was over 35% loss to list, which uh, gives a massive opportunity to, to add value um, within the negotiation within the, the, the 18 months they had a suddenly they had a fire over there one of the building had caught fire so it, it, it's uh, it's 11 fourplexes uh, on, on on 3.5 hectares of land um, so one had a fire in it, and uh, that's kind of put spanners in the work on the sale. Delayed it a little bit until they get themselves organized with the insurance. Uh, so what I did is uh, I basically had told the broker, "Look, we 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 kind of talked about the price, but now I have less units. I I mean, we one building is 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 a total loss as far as the you know as we are concerned and the seller is concerned. Uh, so what happened was that uh, I then uh, told the broker, "You know what?" Go back to the sellers and tell them that uh, I will take on, I'm still interested in the deal. I'll take the deal on, but I will also take the responsibility of, uh, of, of demolishing this building. And I'm going to pay for the asbestos test. I'm going to pay for the city inspections and everything that needs to be done with that. I, and I got some quotes. I got some bids uh, for uh, demolishing it. And they came anything between 15 to 20,000. And I said, don't worry, I'm going to pay for it. And then we struck the price. We agreed on a price, which, which was, was good, which was 1 million dollars Now, we tied up the deal. We've done, we done the financials. We've done the due diligence. we done the environmental inspection, which we wanted to do, and everything else. Um, at some point, we, disc- we, we find out that uh, the zoning uh, that the, the, the community is sitting on uh, is actually a residential one, which means that you can only build houses on it. But uh, we find out that uh, from the city that they will grandfather in. So you, it, the only reason to, that we should worry about from the city, according to the city, is if you got a situation that the whole of the community will be vacant. Then after six months on that, it will not be allowed to operate as apartments. It will revert back to, to to single family zoning. But that's like uh, it's 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 hardly probable that it will happen because. Uh, you know, we're not gonna have 45 vacant at one time uh, and for that long at any time. So that was something that we had to dig in and explore, which was a learning curve. Uh, It's very important to check the zoning when you do due diligence on on any apartment community. Um, So anyhow, then I got the the inspection done. And when we've done the inspection, I asked them to check out the, the building 1000, which is the building that had the fire in it. And he told me, that uh, only two units are damaged. In fact, one of them was very severely damaged. The one above it was kind of damaged and the two others in the building are not damaged at all. So, I, I, I right then I decided to start getting bids to renovate this building. And uh, long story short, we decided to, to renovate the building uh, and the cost, if you like, of, of having those extra four apartments only cost me what it cost me to renovate it. So in effect, I'm getting it not for free, but I'm getting it for the cost of renovation, which uh, is also a significantly uh, value add. Um, so that's it. We've we now gone through renovating all the vacant unit. We had a couple of evictions, uh, which didn't actually have to go to court. The People just left once they got the lawyer, the, the attorney putting the note on the, on the door. They just left, left the mess. Uh, but we got, we got the place tidied up and cleaned up for 300 bucks um, in terms of just getting the garbage out. Uh, they left a lot of furniture uh, in opposed to um, needing to go to eviction that typically cost you a 1,000 bucks or 1,200 bucks for the courts. So, you know, it, it was a good outcome. And now, now we're really, really in, the, in the position now that we filled up all the vacant units, everything that became vacant. And now we were about to implement stage two of the repositioning plan, which is uh, approaching the existing tenants. Some of them we did, but now approaching them, the majority of them to take the rent from from 445, 450 to even maybe 550, um, just just because it's way below market. Um, but because of the situation of the coronavirus, we are not going to. We're going to hold on that for for at least you know 30 to 60 days. Just to see what's going on. We're going to work with our residents, make sure they're comfortable, and uh, we just have to sit tight and make sure that um, we, you know, we 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 kind of keep keep the tenant relationship good and keep the occupancy because you don't want to be greedy and then you got people leaving or getting upset with you. And and you know we want to be uh, tenant retention and relationship is the key now. So we are focused on that. Um, once we Pursue with with increasing those rents, so getting to a benchmark which I set as the as the income that we receive on a monthly basis. Then I will consider refinancing my money out and uh, and moving into agency debt or maybe maybe a credit union uh, have good terms in terms of amortization. Typically, 25 years. They will they will give you as high as that, in opposed to some community banks will only give you 20 years. Uh, but I will approach my current lender and see if they will uh, be willing to uh, perhaps through a supplemental or even uh, refinance me um, into a higher uh, loan, loan to value because we added a lot of value. The income is much higher and the interest rates are significantly lower when I took the, the loan down in, uh, in November last year. So I think I could make it work temporarily until I go to agency. I need to wait at least 12 months of ownership before we can go to agency anyway. So I'm just trying to uh, position myself to pull some cash out so I'm able to take down some more opportunities in the market, which will arise you know, within the, the, the current crisis that we that we are you know, we are facing now with the coronavirus.
0: He's really given a lot of knowledge there. Um, he's actually, at this point, told you exactly how to find a market and walked you through probably the entire process of him finding a deal, the deal that he's described here. Um, I just want to start to unpack a little bit of what he said, because he has said so much. Um, let's just start with the amortization aspect of it. So what he's talking about is the amount of time at which your payments are spread out across. So 20 years would be your payments are spread out, spread out across 20 years, which makes your monthly payment a little bit higher than if you were to go 25 or 30 years. Um, So that's what he's talking about there. And then as far as agency debt, he's talking about federally backed um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um, loans. Um, And then he's also said driving for dollars here and driving for dollars just means driving around and looking at properties Um, and then as a result, you often make dollars, therefore drive for dollars. Um, and then one last thing that I want to touch on is the direct mail versus the broker relationship. So he's finding a lot of his deals via direct mail, which is a slightly, um, unconventional way, at least in commercial real estate, but he's having great success with it. And you saw, he laid out his exact process, which is a huge value add on this podcast. Um, but most people like myself go through brokers where you have to develop a relationship with a person, but he's going around that by directly finding the owner's um, information. So now that that's been a little bit unpacked, I want to ask you uh, a question about what advice you would give to a 20-year-old who's starting in real estate or business.
1: Thank you. I just want to give a couple of points uh, to your comments. The first one is that uh, with, with non-recourse debt, the, the main thing in the benefits is uh, not just it's, they can't come after you because there is a, a bad boy carve-out clause that means that uh, if you do something which you're not allowed to do within the rules, they can still come after you. Uh, the, the biggest benefit is that it goes off your balance sheet. So basically, it's not it's not when you go and borrow more money and you want to go into the next deal. If if if, if you refinance into non-recourse. It, they don't look at that as a, as, as a liability. It's just an asset that sits there and generates cash flow, but it's not a liability, which means it's not counting against you for servicing the, the new debt. So that, that's the biggest, the biggest uh, point of that. In terms of advice for a 20 years old um, I, I, I would like to say if you're listening to this podcast, you already started well and the uh, very important is to always keep learning keep your education i always read books for uh, for self-development for for selling and marketing for um for real estate strategies and, and various things um so very important always listening to podcasts and watching uh, those videos uh we got a lot of free videos on, on our uh, on our on our channel and um, i if you want to share the link after you can come and see these apartment communities that I uh, took a lot of walkthroughs and while I was there walking through and dealing with contractors there's a lot of information you can check out um, so that's great getting getting if you're starting up get into coaching and education as soon as you can another point avoid the shiny object syndrome stay focused on your strategy stay focused on the relationship stay focused on your market and avoid the shiny ob- the object syndrome don't, if you decide that you're going to go and do multifamily, you need to be all in, get yourself educated, build those relationships like, like you're doing, Kyle. You know, just get in and do it and, and, and get into it. Because if you start thinking about selling things on Amazon now and starting to spend less time on multifamily and less focus on other things, then what will happen is that you, you're not going to invest enough time in, uh,
0: in multifamily. Amazing advice. If you're a 20-year-old listening to what he's just said, you've gotten some serious gems. The last question I want to ask is where can people find you online? Um, is that website the best place or is there other place where people can find you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very active on Facebook, but I'm also active on, uh, on YouTube. So, but if you go to the, the two websites I'm going to give now, the with g.com you can see the links to our YouTube channel, which please subscribe. You can keep up to date with videos that uh, that we're doing, and another we do also now we do with the mihmastermind.com mihmastermind.com, which I co-facilitate with uh, Marco Barbaro, Gino's brother. Um, we we have uh, we have monthly free education sessions now, um, and uh, you can uh, find the link uh, to that. Also, if you message me through through any, either of the websites, so please visit mihmastermind.com mfiholding.com. You can send me a message and you can always uh, join a group in the MFI, uh, sorry, MIH Mastermind uh, Multifamily Investment Group on Facebook.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for all the, uh, the knowledge you've given today, Hodar. It's been a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me, Kyle. And uh, yeah, have a great time and thank you for having me.